My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. Let us pray. May the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. So if you were paying attention last week, I already gave you a hint about where we're going to be going um, this morning. But uh, last year, after my um, week away at the monastery, I preached a sermon called Bring Back What You Have Received. And in it, I laid out some of the lessons I had observed, learned, and experienced during, during my time there. And I focused on rest, prayer, and purification um, as essential components of the ongoing Christian life in the church. And I also focused on how the church's function is to form Christ in us so that we can take what we have received, salvation, healing, the gift of Christ's life into the world. We've been given something more precious than anything else and are expected to steward it properly, but also to share it with the lost. Last week I told you that today I was going to be preaching a sermon called Continuity, Discipline, and Rhythm, and uh, that this sermon is inspired by my time at the monastery that I was there at the close now of 2022. But what I'm going to do is, as I was writing this, it just got longer and longer and longer and longer and longer and longer. And I know Sean's like, please don't preach it all. So with uh, Sean's uh, you know, protestations in mind, I decided to break it up into three different sermons, right? So today, my sermon title is simply going to be Continuity. And my hope for this short three-part series, because next week we'll talk about uh, discipline, and then the week after we will um, talk about uh, the third component, rhythm. But today we're going to focus on continuity, and I hope that this can be a grounding for us that we can look back on as we progress through this year as something of a touchstone or or a guidepost for how we move forward in this new year and in the years to come. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start by asking the question, what do I mean by the word continuity? Well, simply put, the dictionary says continuity, continuity is an uninterrupted connection, succession, union, or a continuation without essential change. And I think a, a, an easy way to kind of grasp this idea of continuity is when you're filming a movie, Everything is not, they don't film a movie like in order, right? They don't start at the beginning and then film all the way and then they film the very end and then everybody wraps and goes home. It's broken up into different chunks based on actor schedules and all that sort of thing, right? So you'll have the beginning of a movie being filmed and then they'll move over to like uh, the end or then the middle and then they'll be filming action scenes with stunt people on this day and it's all kind of broken up. But when you have a scene sometimes between actors and if it's set like on the same day, in the same situation, like maybe they're, maybe they're sitting on a bench in a park having a conversation. There's a person or people whose job it is to make sure that over the days of shooting, it still looks like it's the same day. Because the scene might be like, what, five minutes, right? But they may be filming that scene over the course of many days. So it's a person's job to watch and make sure that the light is just right, that their hair looks the same, that the, the clothes that they're wearing look the same, right? So when you watch the movie, it doesn't look like anything has changed, that it's still the same day, the same time. It's trying to create a sense of, of continuity when you're filming. And I think that's an imperfect but interesting example of 
how continuity functions in our faith, as Christianity itself is a religion of continuity. Christianity does not spring up from nothingness, but was an organic development from the Judaism from where it sprang. And I would dare say that Christianity is the filling up to fullness of everything that Judaism, that the law and prophets were testifying to, because it was incomplete. It is bringing to the ultimate completion the work of God as revealed in Jesus Christ. And one of the things that constantly surprises me about our faith is the continuity of the scriptures. I'm going to focus on two aspects. The first is going to be the continuity of scripture. And then the second is going to be the continuity of tradition. When we look at the Bible, some look at the Bible and see a disjointed, piecemeal, um, uninspired collection of myth, history, and unrelated genres that aren't connected by any overarching themes, and if we do see un, uh, overarching themes and we see interconnectivity in Scripture, then that's just something that we as Christians are sort of reading into the text after the fact. But this is not the way that the first Christians read and understood the Bible. And it's not the way that we should read and understand the Bible today. There is a great unifying factor in Scripture. And that unity is, simply put, Jesus. It's the story, we know of the story when Jesus is walking with the two disciples who don't recognize him, uh, Saints Cleopas and Luke, on the way to Emmaus. They don't recognize him, but they're revealed to him in the breaking of the bread. And then there's another scene where Jesus appears to his disciples and it says that he gives them the understanding of the scriptures. He opens their mind, he opens their eyes, he opens their hearts to see the true meaning of the scriptures as centered and focused on him. And so we cannot read the scriptures, we cannot interact with the scriptures, we cannot rightly interpret the scriptures unless we are reading and interpreting and understanding them through who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. You would think that something like that would not be controversial, but it kind of is. This grates against how, that my own seminary training, right? We were trained to take each book of the, like if we were reading an Old Testament book, in its own immediate context, and not to read the Jesus Christian stuff back into that. But that's not how we do things as Christians. Because Christ fills up to fulfillment, to completion, everything that's in the Old Testament. We cannot understand the Bible apart from Jesus. We cannot divorce the Christocentric nature of the text from Jesus Christ. Christocentric, centered on Christ. And we see this continuity in our readings. And so I'm going to briefly lay out this continuity today in our three readings. In Exodus chapter 12 verses 21 to 28, we heard about the institution of the Passover. Moses is instructing the elders of Israel what they are to do. To kill the lamb, collect some of the blood, and then take hyssop, and then take some of that blood, and apply it to the doorposts of the home. And then he says, stay inside. We forget that part, right? Like, put the blood, stay inside. Like, don't go outside. And then he says, this is an ongoing observation for you. When you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. That's in verse 25 in Exodus chapter 12. And then he also says, what you're going to be doing, you need to teach this to your kids. You need to teach this to your kids. That's how we pass on the faith. 
And how we keep kids in the faith is by passing it on to them and teaching them. And then he says, the Lord, in verse 23, will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood, uh, he will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. Right? So this application of the blood is a marker that these are God's people. It's an act of preservation and it's an act of salvation for them because he, the, he, is, he is keeping them safe, essentially, from death. So then we look at the gospel reading in John chapter 1 verses 29 to 42 where John the baptizer sees Jesus walking by and proclaims there's the Lamb of God. He's the one who's going to take away the sins of the world. We spoke about this last week so we won't linger too much on this part of the story this morning but Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus' blood, his shed blood for us, is spoken of as something that cleanses us and purifies us. And if you come to our Revelation class, you'll hear this theme, right, where it talks about they have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. Jesus' blood is something that cleanses us and purifies us. So the way that the blood is smeared on the, on the doorposts of the houses there in Egypt is we are preserved by the blood of Christ shed for us from the destroyer and it is an act of preservation and salvation for us. And then we read the epistle in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 1 to 9 about being sustained until the end. He's writing this epistle to the church at Corinth and he said to those who are sanctified in Christ. Right? So in other words, they have been forgiven. They have been cleansed by the blood of Christ. Through faith in the waters of baptism. They have been made holy by the blood of Jesus. And St. Paul gives thanks for that. And then he says in verse 7, So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here we see this ongoing preserving work as hinted in the book of Exodus. It's made explicit by the death of Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world working in the lives of the Christian community there in Corinth. Right? So, so, so those whom the Lord has forgiven and those whom the Lord has made holy will be preserved and sustained until the end when Christ returns. Right? So the ongoing benefits of the blood of Christ right? as we, as we serve him, as we stay faithful to him, loyal to him, as we continue on in faith and service to him, we will be sustained by his blood. We will be preserved and protected by his blood. And St. Paul says this is something that will sustain you until the end. And that's like the whole Christian life, right? Is that sustaining act of God, of the power of God, right? That keeps us and preserves us till the end. Now that preservation doesn't mean freedom from, from the, tr the, the problems and the, and the trials of this life. I, this is in my mind because I saw this the other day. Sometimes I watch and read things that I know make, make me angry and I shouldn't. But there was a, a minister basically who's built a whole ministry about, um, about healing and prosperity. And he's a very old man now. And in one meeting he'll tell people, he'll tell stories about, you know, divine healing that he's experienced. And now in another meeting he's like, well, I had to have a pacemaker put in. But then he tells people to expect the miraculous, right? Like if you're not, if you're sick, you're not really sick. You're just experiencing the symptoms of sickness. 
You're, 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 the healing is already there. You just have to sort of appropriate it for yourself, right? That's not how any of this works, right? We are, to, we are sustained and preserved by the blood of Jesus even in our deaths. Even in our deaths. Because if we've been sealed by, sustained, and preserved by the blood of Jesus, that means even after our deaths, there's nothing that can separate us from Christ. There's nothing that can separate us from his love. So do you see the continuity there between those three readings? This is the continuity of scripture as seen through the unifying person and work of Jesus Christ. So then my question is, well, what happens when we give this up? Well, when we give this up, we're left with nothing but psychological readings of texts. How many of you had heard very well-meaning sermons about focusing on, wow, I wonder what this person felt and went through. And then the focus is maybe on the possibilities of what they felt and went through rather than what the story is trying to show us. I've heard stories like that. I've heard sermons like that. I've preached sermons like that because I'm not as good a preacher then as I am now. That's not me fishing for a compliment. Let, stop, stop, stop. I'm going to have to edit that part out when I post this. We're left with nothing but texts that we can cite to justify anything we want them to mean. We can divorce the text of Scripture and the meaning of Scripture from what the text of Scripture means and is trying to teach us. We can take the text and use it to say anything about anything. We can even look at texts and say, wow, these texts are really problematic and so we need to cancel them. I don't like what these texts are saying because this reflects a patriarchal worldview or something like that. So we don't have to, to read these texts and understand them. We can just ignore them or make them say something that they don't mean. I'll give you an example. So some of the, the devotional resources that are provided um, are made available for, for clergy. And I'm going to read you a passage from Psalm 122, okay? Just stay with me. Verses 1 to 2. I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Now listen to this. This is what's called a living psalm. When I heard the words, let's go to church, my heart swells like the Grinch's heart that grew three sizes that day. And then the true meaning of Christmas came through, and the Grinch found the strength of ten Grinches plus two. Delight is contagious, and it swells because of the understanding that I am the church. My memory drifts back to the sing-song days where I was taught that the church is not a building, the church is not a steeple, the church is not a resting place, the church is the people. Brothers and sisters, I ask, where is the continuity there? Where is the continuity there? It does not exist. When we divorce the scriptures, we remove that aspect of continuity with how the, how, what the scriptures are saying and, and interpreting them through the lens of Jesus. We could take Psalm 122 and say, I rejoice when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. We could turn it and say, oh, it's Christmas time, it's Advent, so let's talk about the Grinch because that might connect emotionally with people because that movie's been on since like the 60s and they've made like live action adaptations of it. And maybe our hearts then, it's teaching us that our hearts can grow two sizes too. Because it doesn't matter, the, church, the building itself doesn't matter because as we know, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. 
I'm sorry. We do have a relationship with God, but I hate to break it to people. Christianity is a religion. We have rituals. Rituals are important. Twice a month, we come before the Lord's table and altar. And I take a piece of bread and I dip it in wine and I give it to you. And I say, may the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ preserve you to everlasting life. That is a ritual. When I baptize your children, that is a ritual. Rituals are not meaningless and they are not powerless. They are an act of continuity and our ongoing participation in the faith that was given and handed to us. Let's talk a little bit about the continuity of tradition. This is how I like to understand tradition. Some friends of mine will say, tradition is the life of the Holy Spirit in the church. And I like that. I think that's good. But I think there's a little bit more to it than that to help us flesh it out a little bit. Right? We see passages in the Bible like this. In 1 Corinthians 11:2, I command you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. 2 Thessalonians, Paul again in 2.15. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which were taught by us, either by word of mouth or by letter. The traditions which you were taught. Maintain the traditions as I delivered them to you. There's this very weird idea, right, that the early church was just this freewheeling place, right, where anybody could do or say anything, and anything went, and it was just a madhouse. No, it was not. In Acts 2.42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Right? So here's what, how I see tradition in the life of the church. Apostolic teaching. The apostles' teaching. To break with apostolic teaching is to break with the faith that we have been given by God himself. To say that Jesus is not fully divine and fully human is to break with the tradition that we have received from God himself, with the God's own revelation of himself. To say that Jesus was not the God-man, he was just a really good moral teacher that said really good things and helped people out, and he's a model for ethical living, which is true, but it doesn't end there. Jesus is God from God, light from light, true God of true God, begotten, not made, one in essence with the Father. St. Paul will say in the Creed will confess, through whom all things were made. To break from that and say you could bring your own understanding of who you think Jesus is, is to break with the continuity of the scriptures and the tradition. Apostolic teaching, the deposit of faith, and then the aspect of fellowship, Right? The fellowship, the coming together, communal life together, the love and mutual care and support we have for one another. And then the breaking of bread, which isn't just a reference to eating together. It's a reference before, again, coming before the Lord's table and altar to receive his broken body and blood. On the night he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread and he blessed it. And he, 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 he gave it to them and he said, this is my body. And then he gave them the cup. And after he gave thanks, he gave it to them and saying, drink this all of you. This is the new covenant in my blood. The words of the Lord himself. Breaking of bread. And then the prayers. Our communal worship together. Our corporate worship together is important. Yes, we don't have to gather for corporate worship here specifically in this building. Yes, we can have church outside there, right? But we create this false dichotomy between the church as building and the church as people. Where do people meet to go to church? Well, in a building. 
Anyway, don't get me started on that. But, but even then, that impulse, right? The church is people not a building. It's a good impulse, right? It comes from a very helpful place. But it, I think it creates this false dichotomy between what the church is and what the church isn't. So tradition is our maintaining the deposit of faith that we have received. And it's ongoing in the life of the church, right? And so we see throughout the years how the people in the church have read and understood the scriptures before us. And that forms our own basis of how we read and understand the scriptures. We also see this in development and observation of various times of year. We're about to enter Lent. We just came out of Advent and Christmas. And then we're going to go through, through Palm Sunday and the Holy Week and then Easter. And we commemorate these important times on the Christian calendar. And we even at times, if a Sunday, if, if, it's, if it's that time of the calendar, we'll even here in this church, we will commemorate particular people. Like the Virgin Mary, like the disciples. We've done that, we will continue to do that because we are not disconnected from the past. This is all continuity. And this was so, it was just so clearly demonstrated to me at the monastery. I was there um, just over Christmas, right? Just after Christmas. So in the one service, they commemorated all of the children murdered by Herod in Bethlehem. Think about that. We're in the year 2023. And I'm standing in a church with a group of people reading the text and praying the prayers, remembering the slaughter of the innocents. That happened more than 2,000 years ago. And then another day was the martyrdom of St. Stephen, the first martyr that we see in the book of Acts. Stoned to death. And the people who did it gave their coats to a young man named Paul. Commemorated him. 2,000 years later, and then they went on to commemorate throughout my time there other people in the church. Saint Anicia, who was killed by a Roman soldier in the 200s, who tried to compel her to go with him to a, a pagan temple so he could do terrible things. She spat in his face and she said, I'm a Christian. And he took out a sword and he stabbed her. It's 2023 and they're still remembering that story and telling that story. And then there were, I think, Martyrs in a place called Nicomedia, which is one of the uh, head places in the, in the empire back in those days. A bunch of Christians were put into a church and the church was set ablaze. 2,000 years later, they're still commemorating those people. And countless others while I was there as well. Why? Not because they have a lot to pray and you need to fill up that time by thinking and remembering something. No, because they see themselves as something ongoing as part of the same story. And when we give up the continuity of tradition, then it leads to liturgical and doctrinal free-for-all. And we've seen this with the psalm that I just read, the psalm, in air quotes I just read, we've seen this in, in, the other day I saw something, there was a Beyonce mass at a church like in San Francisco, a Beyonce mass. We've taken the tools of critical theory and postmodernism and modernism and the academy to reinterpret the scriptures apart from how Christians have understood it. And we've seen the end result of this, the emptying of churches. The emptying 
of churches. And so then it says, well, how do we get people to come back to church? I was at a, meet, a gathering recently, and this was the subject. How do we reconnect with people who were in church and left, or people who don't care about church at all? How do we bring them back? And we heard a bunch of people say different things. You give a presentation. And there are some hel helpful things in there, I think. But then you know what they did? They got up and they sang Imagine by John Lennon. Imagine there's no heaven or hell. It's really easy if you try. Imagine there's no God above. And I'm thinking, well then what are we doing here? Why should anybody come to our churches? If we're that far along where we can divorce ourselves from how God has been revealed to us, then what's the point? Go, what are those guys that drive the hats and they drive around those little cars? What are they called? Shriners or something like that? I don't know. Let's all go join the Shriners or something. Right? Or go get into something in pop culture and then go join that group. Right? If you really like Star Wars and go join Star Wars groups. And get together and argue about which movie is the best and why you like it. But don't come to church. What's the point? The church, we have the one thing that nobody else has. We have Christ. We have salvation. We have eternal life in Him. And we throw it away like Esau for a bowl of crappy soup. We need to reappropriate the continuity of Scripture and tradition. Because brothers and sisters, like it or not, we are tied in with the story of the martyred innocents. We are tied in with the stories of the martyrs in Nicomedia. We are tied in with the story of the martyrdom of St. Stephen. Those stories are part of our story and they still speak to us through time and we don't remember people. We don't commemorate them because our services aren't long enough and we need to add something to fill out the space. We remember and commemorate these things because we are participants in them. Because we are in Christ just like they were. And so when we begin to reappropriate the continuity of scripture and reappropriate the continuity of tradition and respect what God has given us, the great blessings that God has given us, it will preserve us, it will sustain us, and then we will see that we have something to offer to others. And it then orients us not to see ourselves as isolated communities who think Jesus is kind of groovy. But we are part of a whole. That Christ has saved us from our sins. He has saved us from death. That he has saved us from hell, from Satan, from sin, death, and the devil. All of those things he has trampled under them. All of the dark spiritual forces that stand behind all of the wickedness and evil of this world. He has triumphed through his cross and his resurrection. And then he gives the blessings of that to us. And we dare not take that great blessing and trample it. And let us together, brothers and sisters, begin to reappropriate that which matters the most. The gospel. The gospel. That Christ loved us. That Christ died for us. And Christ will raise us with him on the last day. Or will raise us 
because he himself has been raised, triumphing over all things, who rules and reigns over all things, and who seeks to extend his love and his grace and his mercy to the world. And so to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, be all glory together with the Father who is from everlasting and as all holy good and life-creating spirit. Amen.